Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs on this September 12th afternoon here with the radio voice of your Cleveland Cavaliers, Tim Alcorn. A pleasure to get going here as we get a little more excited for the season every day. It's getting closer. It's inching closer, Zach. So uh, thanks again for having me. I've always enjoyed these conversations with you. Uh, I know that your passion for the Cavaliers runs deep. So uh, it'll be a, a knowledgeable and a resourceful conversation for your listeners and for your fans. And, uh, you know, don't throw me too many hardballs now. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this Cavaliers season. Uh, it ended in a disappointing fashion uh, with that loss to the Knicks in the playoffs. But we'll delve into all of this with the offseason acquisitions and just announced uh, today, literally before we started here, uh, the signing of Tristan Thompson. So, uh, there's some exciting news, no doubt. Oh, very much. Appreciate the kind words, Tim. And we will be talking about Tristan and a lot more coming up next uh, across the Capsule Network 216. That's right. East Tim Alcorn, Zach Weiss, this across the Cavs and. I was very startled uh, to see this Tristan Thompson news. It was a case of so many options to fill these final roster spots. Every single time a guy gets waived or cut, we think, hmm, can they fit on the Cavs? First, it was JaVale McGee. He gets scooped up by the Kings very briefly. Yesterday was Cameron Payne, who spent uh, a couple of 10 days in Cleveland. But officially official, Double T is back. The three-point marksman made, I think, five or six. <laughs> In a Cavs uniform, but Tim, I think at least for me, the biggest thing with this signing might not be what he'll bring on the court, but you bring a guy that was with uh, was part of four finals teams with the franchise and runs very deep with the understanding of Cavs culture, which I think is a huge upgrade on what they had last year in that regard. Boy, Zach, you've hit on a lot of great points. Uh, first of all, just off the court, as you alluded to, that locker room presence, that guy that, as you just said, has been through the wars, that knows what it takes uh, to not only compete at a high level, but succeed at a high level, uh, having been on that 2016 Cavalier NBA championship team. So uh, this is a terrific signing. As you said, uh, the young Cavalier team that really struggled in the postseason last year, uh, they, they were looking for those guys. Uh, that had been through these wars, that knew what it took. And so you add Tristan Thompson to the already acquired or signed uh, Max Struess, George Negang. So they suddenly have some guys on the team, uh, along with Donovan, uh, that have been through these wars. And so the Darius Garlands and the Evan Mobleys and the Isaac Okoros uh, that need that leadership, that need that guidance, who learned a lot in that loss to the Knicks. But now you just add another piece to that locker room puzzle. Yeah, so Tristan, just the latest in a long line of players with finals experience. It started with Damian Jones, who I think similarly, he may get right. some minutes. We don't yep. know what the role is going to be, but he's someone that was part of the title teams with the Warriors, and he battled with the Cavs. Obviously intrigued enough by the prospect of, of joining this team, seeing what they were missing last year and wanting to help. Provide more size, Max Struess, NBA Fonds with the Miami Heat. And though he has not yet cleared the second round, George Niang makes the playoffs every year. And Tim, when a guy's shooting 40% on the regular, I think it's a pretty nice signing to join a group that's full of guys like uh, Darius, 
Evan and Donovan who know how to find the open guy when push comes to shove. No, you're exactly right. And to kind of, we could go down a lot of different paths here, but looking back to that Nick series, uh, there were things that were exposed and there were things that uh, Tom Thibodeau, who's a great Kate, a great coach uh, was able to draw up. And one of those was, uh, let's force the Cavaliers to shoot and make outside shots. And they shot them, but they didn't make them. So you now go out and you get guys like Struess. And as you mentioned, Georgie Niang with that 40% career three-ball shooting percentage. So all of a sudden, you address some needs that were exposed. And uh, you did it without pushing the panic button. There wasn't anything where, man, we got to overhaul this. We got beaten five games. This isn't going to work. Uh, instead, they added pieces uh, to what is already a terrific core of basketball players. So, uh, And the other thing that was shown in that loss to the Knicks, the lack of physicality. Uh, the Cavs have to get more physical. And, boy, by definition, Tristan Thompson uh, will fill that need. Now, is he going to play 75, 80 games? Is he going to play 20, 25 minutes? That remains to be seen. Probably not. Uh, but certainly if the Cavs get to postseason play again, which is uh, the expectation, uh, I think you'll see Tristan Thompson out there to give them that physicality, that guy that can knock bodies around and uh, isn't afraid to throw a few elbows or two. And maybe an example of the role he could possibly grow into. Lance Stevenson, his first stint with the Pacers, was an all-star caliber player. I think he was the most improved as well. Kind of bounced around the league. He signed a big contract with Charlotte, wound up in Minnesota with the Clippers. Then all of a sudden is back with the Pacers, and he has the same fit, kind of like Hito with the Magic. When Turkaloo played, I think, for Toronto and Phoenix, but that didn't work out when he left. He went back to Orlando, had another good season. Could see us maybe a similar rebound from Tristan, who didn't adjust as well to other systems, Tim, but knows Cleveland's so well. Well, not only that he knows the system, but uh, he certainly is very familiar, and you mentioned this during your open, Zach, uh, the culture of what Cleveland is all about, and meaning the city and the community. It's a hard-working, blue-collar type of town, and so – uh, Tristan knows the history, uh, has a familiarity with the front office as far as Kobe Altman and that. Uh, obviously, hasn't played for JB. Actually, he did, but he knows what it takes. And so uh, this is a guy that when he steps onto that floor, especially at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, he knows what's expected. He'll, he'll know what to anticipate. So he's going to be a great fit coming back. Absolutely will. Uh, you know, when we talk about uh, some of these new acquisitions and uh, returning a couple of all-stars. So what's the early vibe, Tim, you'd say you're getting from this group of the Cavs? Boy, that's a great question because we just had Brad Doherty on our weekly radio show uh, that we do throughout the season, even during the offseason. And uh, we talked about looking back on last year. Is it more about winning 51 games and garnering that fourth seed and getting home court advantage? Or is it more about how things didn't go well against the Knicks in the first round? Is it one of those glass half full or half empty? And uh, Big Brad, who is another guy that certainly has been around the game and knows what it takes to succeed, he said, listen, you got you to gotta throw the 51 wins away. I mean, it's a great accomplishment, uh, and it was something to build on. But uh, going into the offseason, what happened against the Knicks is what has to fuel these guys and, and what they have to build on and learn from. So – I think when you take it from that vantage point, 
they addressed what was needed. Again, the outside shooting, the physicality. So I think there's an upbeat vibe. I, I think they're really excited to get going again. They were really disappointed in that loss to the Knicks. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it. Not that they thought they were going to come in and, and sweep the Knicks or handle New York easily. It was the 4-5 matchup, which competitively uh, is obviously, at least on paper, the toughest matchup in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, the Knicks were a, a tough assignment for them just on paper as far as how the matchups worked. So it wasn't like they thought they were going to blow the Knicks out. Uh, but I think they were surprised at how the Knicks handled them. So that will drive them. That will fuel them. And I think the expectations are high in the fact that we know what we can do. We know how good of a talent base we have uh, with Evan, with Donovan, with Darius, with Jared. Now you add Struess and those type of guys. So we know there's a talent base there. It's just a matter of taking it to the next level. And I think uh, the Cavaliers top to bottom from Kobe Altman all the way down to the equipment manager think uh, they are going to take another step this year. Yeah, it would be absolutely great. You know, equipment manager getting all the love. You see in the Niners game, uh, they're giving a lot of attention to those walking out with any four. Now it's the boom box now. Maybe we'll get, we already got the chain. Tim, can we get, we get you uh, be the boom box guy this year when you'll come out with the team, you'll leave, you'll leave your perch. Well, people, people say I talk loud. Maybe it, maybe my booming voice is about as good as you're going to get with, with any sort of boom with uh, my, my relationship with the Cavaliers. I, I, sometimes I have to tell myself, you need to quiet down a little bit. My, my voice tends to project and tends to carry, but you know what, as I said, organizationally, uh, this is a, this is an organization that truly believes they're on the cusp of something special. Yeah, and I can't wait until the season does start. And I will agree with you as someone that is told that they're talking too loud, whether they're on a mic or not. And uh, I, I wish, you know what I wish, you know, Tim, when we're watching a TV show or a game, we have a remote to lower. I wish we could kind of send ourselves to that medium volume level because I think it would do so much for us. Right. I'm one of those guys, you know, there's a lot of announcers. They'll tell you, and I'm one of them. You kind of cringe at your highlights like – man, calm down. You know, people say, oh, that was a great highlight. That was a great call. And I'm going, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, hey, if, if people like it and they're listening, that's a good thing. Amen. Amen to that. And so we will we'll quickly change courses from the NBA to the FIBA tournament. And a lot of these games were played a bit early. There were some 4 a.m. starts, some 5 a.m. starts. Here where the U.S. did not medal because Dylan Brooks uh, had one of the best games we've ever seen. But ultimately it was Germany – who handed this U.S. squad the loss, went on to win, led by a couple NBA players and Dennis Schroeder, Franz and Mo Wagner. They also had former Laker and Wizard, Isak Bonga. But what do you make uh, of the tournament and Germany's impressive run of the top, Tim? Wow, again, Zach, so many different avenues and, and ways and directions we could go with this. First of all, um, again, that wasn't the stars of stars in the NBA that were on the USA team. And I'm not denigrating the squad that Steve Kerr and his staff were coaching at all. I mean, those were quality NBA guys, but it wasn't like it was Steph Curry and LeBron and mm -hmm. Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell, if you want to throw him in there. But, in there. but that being said, um, listen, it just shows uh, the unbelievable impression that international and European basketball has had on the game in a global way. 
yet you look at these teams. You mentioned the, the champion in Germany, and you look at Canada that ended up beating the United States and Spain and Lithuania and, and right on down the line. Uh, these are countries now that have embraced the game of basketball and excel at the game of basketball. So, you know, the, the idea of just the, the U.S. team rolling a ball out there and, and just piling up big wins, uh, those days are gone. So it, it just shows the impact that the game of basketball is having globally. And when you looked at those teams from the countries that I alluded to and others, I mean, they were littered with terrific NBA players. So um, disappointing for USA? Sure. Uh, but it also goes to show that uh, the NBA game has gone global. And as fans embrace the NBA game across the world, uh, young men in those respective countries are now becoming very talented players. And one of them from Australia, Duop Reith, just signing his first NBA contract with the Portland Trailblazers. Not the first Australian player to kind of show out in a European tournament and then eventually get to the NBA. Another example would be Delhi. Delhi's good Delhi. pal, Ryan Brokoff, who spent a little time with the Dallas Mavericks. And then obviously Jock Landale started out you know, right. Australian as well. He was not, they certainly missed him. And then a guy who might not be as well known, he never got a new NBA chance, but David Anderson, who uh, one of the OG stretch fives, six eleven. he played in the NBA. I want to say it was with Houston and new Orleans, no stats didn't do this research. This is what I hopefully remember correctly. Or David Anderson, great head of hair on his head. <laughs> Thinking he's retired now, but. I stretched big. You remember Walter Herman, Tim, uh, in that mid-2000s? He played for Charlotte and Detroit. Kind of looked like Fabio, yet hair. Yes, all yes. Walter Herman. Wow, that's going back in time, Zach. Way back in time. Yeah. The Hoop Grids game, when I used to play every day, just got me thinking, who who have we forgotten? And <laughs> just, there's, some bit, there's just some players, man. This happens in every sport. But basketball is the only one of the four major sports where you actually see players' hair. They're not wearing a helmet or a hat or anything. So you actually get to appreciate or, I guess, diss. They use too much hair product. Daniel Gallinari looking at you. Um, <laughs> That's true. Think about what Jared Allen would be if he was in another sport. Now, obviously, he's seven <laughs> feet tall as well. But, you you know, you wouldn't see that big fro from Jared Allen. So, yeah. and, and you're right. It's, it's funny. As a basketball announcer and as a radio announcer, you know this, you'll look for identifying aspects within a player. I mean, for me, not the Cavs, but, you know, in calling the other teams, you'll look for, you know, a big head of hair or, you know, whatever color socks or shoes or whatever, just so you can identify them, especially if there's a real crowd of players. So, uh, and the hair is one of those. You're right. Those, uh, those MLB, yeah. NHL, NFL guys, they don't get to look for the hair to identify the player. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I'm still surprised that Colin Sexton found a hat that fit his head on draft day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed. True. Uh, it, it's, it's something. But uh, moving on, we'll kind of keep it on this subject, I guess, Tim. Kind of, this is a curiosity question. I haven't asked anyone else around the league, announcer, or anyone else in the NBA. So you're the first person to get this ask. But do announcers – uh, buy and wear NBA jerseys of, of some of these guys. I know they're calling everybody year round, so maybe it's a little weirder. But do you are you a jersey buyer? I do not have. Actually, I take that back. Long before uh, I got the Cavaliers job, uh, somehow or another, I did end up with a LeBron jersey uh, from his first stint 
with mm-hmm. the Cavaliers. Uh, but I am not a, a jersey wearer or a jersey collector. I can't answer for the other guys in the league, uh, the other play-by-play mm-hmm. announcers. But uh, we're certainly not required to. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally, you know, shirt and tie or shirt and sport coat, something like that. Uh, that'll that'll be the attire for yeah. when we're broadcasting games. I, I've never worn a, a jersey as far as I can recall. And so we're confirming that not at any level, you've never announced a game with a jersey on. No, when I was doing high school sports for all those years, uh, there were many polo shirts and sweatshirts and those things that the individual schools would give me. Mm-hmm. And so I would wear those if, if I didn't have to be uh, you know, neutral during the call of the game. But I don't think I was ever given a jersey. That I don't okay. think was ever the case. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll close this out with a min, uh, mini, mini nugget here. My first year doing games 10 years ago, I did wear a Della Vadova jersey to call a baseball game. Um, did you really? I did. Um, I don't know why. I don't think I had the professional vibe yet. I was like, I, I was just starting to understand the business a little bit more. And I wasn't on camera, which was another part of it. On camera, you always go, you go double spiffy, you go tie, you get your best coat, you get everything. But I was off and just decided that <laughs> I'm going to wear a Della Vadova jersey today. Um, I don't know that anyone else has done this, at least in America. And I hope I'm the last one because you, you feel different. I think that the beauty, Tim, and you'll agree, the beauty of hopping on a mic and getting on air for a game that's nationally televised or, or broadcast and you're standing in front of a, of a camera doing it as you feel that aura of confidence double, maybe triple when you're dressed for the part as well, compared to, I guess, just being casual. No, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, the more professional look you have, as you just said, the better you feel, you give yourself a little more confidence. And uh, again, not that I wear a tuxedo to a game every night, but <laughs> no, a professional look. Absolutely. And, and I think it does enhance your standing both as a broadcaster but also inherently with your own self-confidence and if you did happen to rock a tux i still think calf nation calf nation would still love you tux, tux or not so I, I i welcome the opportunity where where this clip gets sent and they're like tim you know you went on across the calves you talked about how you don't wear tuxes anything goes well, right of course last year uh everybody in the Cavs organization uh did wear a bow tie on the night that uh, we honored uh, Nick Gilbert, of course, uh, Dan Gilbert's son, who sadly passed away a few months ago. But Nick was known for his bow ties. And so uh, I actually enjoyed that. I, I thought it was kind of a unique look. I haven't worn a, a bow tie since, but uh, it does. It gives you a unique look. So, Zach, if you come to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse this fall, winter, early spring let me know, and I'll break out a bow tie. I'll All right. I, I love that. I definitely will. Um, All right. And then on that note, is it was a great tribute. Nick Gilbert really, really got to know him as a fan base uh, over the years of the draft lottery. After LeBron left, Cavs hadn't been in the lottery since uh, the, the Luke Jackson pick of 2004. So it was really great for, for Cavs Nation as a fandom uh, to get to know him, learn more about his condition, and hopefully at the absolute least, we're all very aware of it, how he can contribute and how he can assist for anybody that may suffer from it uh, going forward. Yeah, you said it very well. A, a remarkable, inspirational uh, story. Just an extraordinary young man. And uh, for his short time here, uh, he left an indelible mark. There's no doubt. Yep. 
And transitioning uh, now, talk about Kevin Love here. He had a long tenure with the Cavs. He was teammates with Tristan for a long time, who was obviously making his return. But what are your thoughts on Kevin Love's fit uh, with Miami now that he's played a uh, quarter of a season, went through a whole playoff run, differing role here and there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, obviously, Kevin Love is the ultimate competitor. Uh, and I think that's why uh, there were a myriad of reasons. But in the end, uh, with the Cavs, he still wanted to play. He wanted to contribute. And uh, the Cavs felt perhaps Dean Wade was the way to go. And again, not to dig into the weeds with all that. So Kevin Love is a good fit in Miami as far as their culture, which is 100% built on winning. And, and Kevin will do what he has to do uh, to contribute to a team winning basketball games. That's his mindset. So uh, he's got one of the great coaches, uh, not only in the league today, but I think in the end he may go down as one of the best in the history of the game in Eric Spolstra. So Eric will find a way to, to utilize Kevin, uh, maximize his minutes on the floor as far as what's expected of him. And uh, I think he'll contribute to the Heat this year. I think you saw in his short spurts during the postseason with Miami, uh, when he was out on the floor, he was effective. He's not the Kevin Love uh, that he was with Minnesota or that he was in his early days here in Cleveland. Uh, he's a different player. He's a veteran player, and there are parts of his game that just aren't the same, but uh, that comes with being an older player in the NBA. And so you acclimate your game uh, to how it fits with a specific team, and right now that's Miami, and I think he'll do very well with the Heat this year in the time that he's given. And best moment for Kevin, I thought, this season after the big Nick performance for him, Dean and Jed, I think combined oh. for 20 uh, from deep was, I think it was game two against the Bucs, or maybe it was game three when he hit five threes, he had 15 and 12. And my biggest takeaway from that, Tim, I think the hardest thing to do when you're joining a team that late in the season and you're potentially taking on the type role Kevin did was finding closing minutes because they have guys they trust, they've seen and it's late game tendency. So him hitting those five threes, getting a double-double, being able to play those those closing minutes. He hadn't played a ton of fourth quarter minutes at all in those early playoff moments. Seeing that was fantastic. So it got them a massive win over the Bucks and went a long way toward them getting out of that series as quickly as they could. I remember watching that game against Milwaukee, and uh, that was the Kevin Love that we saw in Cleveland, knocking down those three balls. Uh, he was on fire, and... Uh, again, I'm not digging deep in my <laughs> preseason prep into the heat, but uh, with Struess coming to Cleveland, uh, it'll be interesting to see if that opens up some more time for Kevin down there with that long ball threat that he brings. So, uh, yeah, he's he's a veteran. He's a winner, as I mentioned earlier, ultra competitive, and that's what they demand in Miami. It's not just an expectation. I mean, they demand it of their players. And that's one of the reasons I'm excited about Struess coming here to Cleveland, just that winning attitude and being in a winning locker room. And uh, not that the Cavs don't have that attitude, but to bring that experience and that knowledge uh, to this young Cavs team, I think it's a huge addition, but yeah, for Kevin in Miami, I think that's a good fit for him. And on that flip side, you know, you talk about Max Truce coming in, 181 threes two years ago, followed by 197 last year. My personal bold take is he hits 250 and not only makes but wins the event, the three-point shootout this year. Yes, it is bold, but 
He's a high-volume shooter. He's not playing with one of the best backcourts in the league. There's going to be a lot of good looks for him, and I think he's the first small forward the Cavs have had in a while that can play 30 minutes and feel confident shooting seven to eight threes with no hesitation. So, Tim, we talk about Max Struess. We talk about George Niang, both guys coming here to space the floor, bringing great playoff experience, ability to score, and having played in very good systems. So how excited are you, both as a broadcaster and maybe even on the fan side, uh, to have these two guys coming to Cleveland this year? Oh, I'm real excited. Uh, when word started leaking out that uh, Struess was a primary target for the Cavaliers, uh, watched him through the postseason and, of course, for the past couple of years uh, in the NBA. And here's a guy that has really fought his way uh, to get to the level of player that he is now. He bounced around a little bit, but... Uh, just works his tail off uh, to get to this level. So I was really excited about that. Uh, again, not just for that three-ball shooting and the spacing, but coming out of that Miami culture, I think there's something to be said for that and and instilling that type of attitude uh, into the younger Cav players. Niang, same thing. Uh, again, has been around playoff basketball, was a teammate of Donovan Mitchell's uh, while they were in Utah comes from a winning organization with Philadelphia and that long ball threat. So these are going to be two guys, Zach, when you look at it, that classic example of they're going to make other guys around them better because defenses are going to have to respect their long ball ability. So go out on the wing and all of a sudden that opens things up, you know, for DG or for Donovan to drive to the basket or get an entry pass into Jared Allen or Evan Mobley down in that low block. Uh, what we saw in that Knicks series, I, I hate to keep going back to that, but they packed that middle. They just packed it and got physical and said, we dare you to beat us from outside, and they couldn't do it, and then everything in the middle got clogged. Now you bring in a Struess, a Niang, and those type of guys that can knock down shots. All of a sudden, that draws those defenders out a little bit further, and you know these guys in the NBA, they don't need a lot of room all of a sudden get to the basket or create a shot in that low block. So uh, these two additions make the Cavs better all around, not just because of their capabilities, but making the guys around them better and, and more comfortable in the roles and in the spots that they're playing. And it's definitely, though, it is important to go back to that series. It was because of what didn't happen in that series that the Cavs made the moves they did. Right. And winning that series is why the Knicks felt that, well, they – the Obi Toppin situation had kind of played itself to a, to a finality. So they send him to Indiana. They want to bring another Nova guy. They, they, they get Dante DiVincenzo. They, they get their toughness a little more because that's what they lacked against Miami. So they fill their need, which was obviously lesser. They keep their same bigs from last season, which for them is important. They brought back Hartenstein again. And you look at Cleveland, they couldn't space as well. So, you know, there are casualties to that. Lamar and Jetty go to the Spurs. Lamar's still a free agent. Jetty's still there. They bring in Struess. They sign Niang, who called the minivan. He calls himself the minivan to Donovan Mitchell's Ferrari. That is how the nickname started. <laughs> that's that's why we love the signing for another reason, of course. Yeah, I mean, again, the Cavs, to me, again, I don't pretend to be the expert. To, to me, as I look at this roster, heading into training camp. They're a better team on paper with this roster than they were going into game five against the Knicks. 
I'm not saying they're going to win 51 games. I don't know. That that becomes a crapshoot. But I think on paper and the way the team is constructed, they're a better team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we'll leave those pregame predictions to AC. He'll make them for all of us. I, I trust whatever he says. The way he delivers, the, the, the sound of his voice, you've been hearing it for so long. John says, all right, over, under. He takes it. I'll agree with it. <laughs> yes. The more AC you can get, the better. I uh, love AC. One Absolutely. of my best friends on the team. Great guy. And, it, and it's been really cool to see the the camaraderie with him, Brad, and John, and the occasional uh, three-man boots. Yes. So it's getting, you're getting two different generations of Cavs. Brad coming not long after AC finished his playing career, and AC being the, really the, the Cavs OG. First number one overall pick, you know he he was a huge or first, he was the number one overall pick, but not their first actual pick. I think John Johnson has that honor. But one more thing to talk about here, Tim, and then we will wrap up. Two new rookies coming to Cleveland. One of them undrafted, named Craig Porter Jr., and the other one who's gotten a little more publicity, Amani Bates, 49th overall pick from Eastern Michigan. So uh, on those two guys, you know. What do you believe their long-term t- potential in this organization to possibly be? Well, let's let's start with Porter, as you said, undrafted. But, boy, did he show out uh, out in Las Vegas in the Summer League where the Cavs won the championship. Now, again, that's Summer League basketball. I understand that. But uh, he played within himself. He played – he wasn't out there just playing rec ball or Y ball. He was trying to do what the Cavaliers do fundamentally as a team. So – uh, I thought Porter really opened up some eyes, and I'm not saying he's going to break the roster this year. He may spend a, a lot of time with the Cleveland Charge uh, right down the street in G League, but uh, I think Porter at least earned himself a real good look at training camp. Uh, boy, Amani Bates, that's quite a story, uh, and we all, I think, know the backstory. Uh, as a sophomore in high school, Gatorade Player of the Year, you know, there was a guy at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary that as a sophomore was the Gatorade Player of the Year. So, you know, it, he is immensely talented. Now, things got off the track a little bit. Goes down to Memphis, doesn't work out, comes back uh, to his home state to play at Eastern Michigan. Uh, nobody doubts the talent that's there, the raw talent that's there for Imani Bates. Uh, the, the question is, Will he respond to that structure and to that discipline and to that coaching? Uh, If he does, uh, he's got a world of potential. Again, will he crack the roster this year or spend more time uh, down at the Wolstein Center with the charge? That remains to be seen. I thought it was a great pick for the Cavs because it's that classic low-risk, high-reward. You didn't have a first-round pick. You had a 49 pick. You've got this kid with all this potential, and – Hey, justifiably, there's a couple of red flags, but everybody that I've talked to within the organization has said he's a good kid. He's, he's a he's a good kid. He's 19 years old. He's got some lessons to learn, but you put him around veteran players and you put him in an NBA locker room, and if he responds to those those lessons and and the education that he'll get and the coaching that he'll get, he could really become something special. If it doesn't work out, it was the 49th pick in the draft. So uh, I'm excited for the potential of Imani Bates. Now we just got to see how it plays out. Yeah, I think both these guys showed a lot in Vegas. Yes. And whether they boom or they bust, 
confident with Porter, just understanding uh, the ability in the recent years of Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, and, and Delhi, of course, coming from undrafted into regular rotational roles, key playoff minutes, uh, you know, keep going down the lines. So I, I think he has a good opportunity if he just has to, to work. Delhi came in on a team that didn't have the same expectations. So he found more minutes. He found starts. You might not see that from Porter, but I think just stay the course. You never know. As of right now, he has the number three point card on the roster until otherwise noted. Oh, with Ricky Rubio stepping away. You got Darius, and then you got Ty Jerome, and Ty you got Jerome. Porter, and, you know, Anamani Bates. Even with the moves they made, you look on the wing, the Cavs still have Karras. They still have Struess, Okoro, Dean Wade. You could argue that Sam Merrill is a two slash three in a small lineup. But there's gonna. it's an 82-game season, Tim, and we do know for certain – that there will be opportunities. It's unfortunate. Injuries happen. Sometimes you got to rest. Sometimes you think a player deserves a chance. So you may say to the eighth or ninth man, you know, take the day. We'll give Amani this opportunity, see if he's ready, see what he makes of it. Yeah, not to drag this out too long, Zach. Uh, I don't want people falling asleep on us here, but uh, you make a great point. The Cavs front office and scouting and player development guys have found these nuggets. You mentioned Dean Wade, Lamar, you went through the list. They find these guys that become real effective role players and they develop them into those roles. So to your point about an Amani or Porter or, you know, whoever it may be, uh, they always seem to be able to, to find that guy out there. So I, I think that there's something to be said for that. Uh, and as you said, it's an 82 game schedule. That's a lot of basketball. That's a lot of wear and tear. So these guys, uh, that, as I said, may be playing the majority of their time with the Cleveland charge this year, uh, at some point, uh, they're going to be with the big club. We didn't even mention, uh, Isaiah Mobley, That's who of right. course had a tremendous summer league, uh, uh, what do I want to say? Summer league experience, uh, you know, with the Cavs. I mean, he was lights out. You could see where he really made some big strides. So Sam Merrill was knocking down shot after shot. So uh, these are guys at some point that, yes, they, they are going to have some playing time. And hopefully uh, when they get that playing time, they'll capitalize on it. Absolutely. A lot of great possibilities for the Cavs this season, October 25th is the day to keep an eye on. We are 43 days away. But Tim Alcorn, a pleasure as always to talk Cavs basketball, the radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Zach, we've been doing this uh, a few times now. I always enjoy it. Appreciate you reaching out. And, uh, hey, once this thing cranks up, uh, let's touch base again. Absolutely will. He's Tim Alcorn, Zach Weiss. We'll see you next time on Across the Cavs. Oh, my God.